Good morning. Glad to have you here. Happy Easter to you all. My name's Randy, one of the teaching team. Thrilled to be with you this wonderful Easter morning. Um, you should have received, did they receive these or are we, you got them, okay. Um, this is a, a seven-week devotional uh, written and put together uh, by the, uh, or led by the Vineyard National Director, uh, Phil Strout. And uh, there's seven weeks in here for you to be able to uh, reflect on uh, the meaning of the resurrection, um, the meaning of the cross, and uh, I've never heard of first Sunday of Easter, second Sunday of Easter, third Sunday of Easter, but that's what they're calling these next few weeks. And they lead up to um, the day of Pentecost. And uh, over the next uh, couple of months, actually, we're going to be doing a series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this will hopefully uh, help as a part of that and the reflection you may want to this week. If you're doing kind of a devotional time, want to do something alongside us, we'll be working through the book of Acts over the next couple of months. We'd love to have you join us with that and this as well. I'm sure you all uh, have ideas about the many marketing strategies that there are in our world today, particularly in our society. And that one of those is uh, to create a sense of need. So we have all these advertisements that show that we need a smartphone. And that smartphone has to have lots of memory. And it has to be able to do Wi-Fi. And it has to be able to do games, online gaming, and, you know, everything else. And if your phone doesn't do that, then you better get a new phone. Also, we're told about many different kinds of things, such as for us men, we need certain kinds of hair products and certain kinds of colognes in order to get that girlfriend we really want and to keep them, of course. You need, you need, you need. Well, another marketing strategy is to take advantage of patriotic and sacred holidays, maybe even Jewish, Christian, Muslim holidays. And so, in no surprise, that Easter Sunday has been marketed. But since icons like, you know, Jewish holiday foods, uh, Muslim food bazaars, bound goats, and empty tomb, you, that probably wouldn't sell really well, particularly that goat one. Yeah. So what do we have? We have Easter bunnies and baby chicks and Easter candies. And, of course, my favorite Easter candy, robin eggs. And in a moment you'll see that the bag is half empty because I already ate it. Today is Easter. All around the world today, millions and millions of people are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ has risen. And while Paul and Peter in our church history would say that this is the highest holy day for Christians, I think we have a tendency in our culture to struggle to keep Jesus as the focus. And we get bombarded going to the markets with baskets filled with candy and Hollow chocolate bunnies. In the years, uh, first years of our marriage, Claire and I began to consider ways uh, that we could help ourselves and help our children focus on the real issues of the many Christian holidays. We weren't trying to be particularly religious, just intentional. We wanted God and Jesus to be the first thing to come to our children's minds on Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving. And along the way, we sought a variety of kinds of family traditions that could point to Christ. For Christmas, we added the Advent wreath. Uh, we also added a Jesus birthday box and a number of other focused activities to help us stay focused and centered on those days. For Thanksgiving, we 
uh, each family member had the opportunity to write things on, a, on colored strips of paper that they, we were thankful for. And then we would take all those colored strips with the little thankful statements on them and we would hang them up across the room and there would be enough rings for all of the days between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. And it's supposed to be that you open one of those links every day and you celebrate, you know, what that person was thankful for. We always tried to figure out who it was that wrote that, you know, so like I'm really thankful for my wife. That one was kind of a giveaway in a house full of uh, daughters. Anyway, um, but uh, then uh, Easter as well, uh, we added the celebration of Passover Seder on Good Friday. And we have been celebrating that since the year before Joy was born. And so uh, it has been a very, very meaningful time, and we've only missed it a couple of uh, times in over all those years. This morning, as we focus on what Easter is all about, we're going to reflect on the person of Jesus. And we're going to consider him related to being the man, the myth, and the legend. But before we head there, let's pray. Papa, we thank you for what this day symbolizes and what it provides for us to gather together, to come freely to worship you and to adore you and to say thank you. As we go through the many activities of today, might we continue to remember what good things you've done for us. Help us even now, no matter where we are in our uh, walk and journey with you, that we would encounter you today and draw nearer to you. Help us celebrate and remember again who Jesus was and what he's done. In whose name we pray. Amen. For over 2,000 years, beliefs and arguments about Jesus have ranged from awe and reverence to disdain and even disbelief. Early church councils met and adopted numerous creeds to address heresies related to both the humanity and the deity of Christ. The Apostles' Creed was written in the first or second century and emphasized the true humanity and the material body of Jesus. The Nicene Creed, drawn up in the fourth century, is emphatic in affirming the deity of Christ. Uh, the Chalcedonian Creed, also drawn up in the fourth century, established the orthodox view that Christ has two natures human and divine, that are united, unified in one person. In other words, stating and saying that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, which doesn't work in the math world or statistical world, but it is what we have held and upheld since that time. On numerous occasions, both during his life and after, Jesus' friends asserted his deity most of the followers of Jesus were devout Jews who believed in one true God. They were monotheistic to the core, believing in only one God. Yet they recognized Jesus as God incarnate. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded to Peter's confession, not by correcting his conclusion, but by acknowledging its validity and source. 
Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. On numerous occasions, Jesus himself asserted his deity. In John 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So the Jewish leaders picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which one of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of those, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, mortal, claim to be God. Here Jesus was threatened with stoning, not because of what he did, but for who he claimed to be, very God. So what's the significance of Jesus' deity? What is significant about him being fully God? Firstly, Jesus is an appropriate object of true worship. Only God is to be worshipped. The commandments speak of worshipping Him, but Jesus as God provides to us the opportunity to worship, to not be guilty of idolatry, for who Jesus was was divine and not an idol. Secondly, Christ's sacrifice on the cross is of infinite value. Because as God, Christ had eternal attribute and was able to carry the full weight of the penalty of sin for all of humankind. Because Jesus is God, we know that God himself truly feels our pain. In Christ, God himself experienced what it was to be friendless, hungry, rejected, beaten, murdered. This is a God who understands everything about us. Jesus Christ, the biblical authors assert, was fully and completely God. But he was also fully and completely human. Jesus, the Son of God, did not simply descend from the throne of heaven in the persona of humanity, as the Greek and Roman mythological gods supposedly did, but was himself supernaturally conceived in the womb of a woman and born naturally as a human child. He then lived his life as a human, like each of us. He knew the pain of hunger, fear, isolation, rejection. He grew tired. He thirsted. He was tempted. He loved, became angry, and was moved with compassion and grief. Though Jesus was fully God, in some way he laid aside his divine attributes and voluntarily lived as a human to fulfill his unselfish purpose to serve and save humanity. In Philippians 2, 6 and 8, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus existed in the form of God, yet he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what's the significance of Jesus' humanity? What does it mean to us that Jesus is fully human? Again, Jesus as a man truly felt pain and understands the challenges and the difficulties that we face. Jesus understands our struggle with temptation. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this, but when Christ was tempted, that temptation was real. 
Jesus could have sinned, but he didn't. Hebrews tells us, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's a profound, beneficial truth. Thirdly, as a man, Jesus was able to fully represent us and stand in our place. Romans says, therefore, just as one man's trespass, Adam's, led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness, Christ's, leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And then fourthly, a significant aspect of his humanity is that Jesus, as a human, fully human, the scriptures tell us, did the works and healing that he did as a man full of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus healed the sick, cast out demons, and raised the dead because he was God, then we have no hope of ever doing those same things because we're not God. But if Jesus lived and did what he did as a man full of the Holy Spirit, then we too can anticipate being full of the Holy Spirit that we will do those same words. Jesus The man was fully human, but also fully God. Jesus the myth. For anyone who really wants to know about Jesus, questions are going to come up. How do we know Jesus really lived and really was who the Bible said? How do we know the stories about Jesus aren't just mythology, like the stories about the Greek and Roman gods, Zeus, Hermes, Jupiter, Mercury, and others. Or, as it is probably most clearly asked, is the Bible trustworthy and reliable? You know, it's amazing how many people have launched out to disprove the Bible or the resurrection and have ended up proving and supporting the very thing that they intended to disprove. One such person was a man named Josh McDowell, who, like many others, eventually found the evidence so overwhelming that he was humbled to belief. Josh wrote a number of books, More Than a Carpenter, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and then he wrote more evidence that demands a verdict just to help it out a little bit. Another such person is Lee Strobel with a Master's of of Studies in Law degree from Yale Law School. He wrote The Case for Christ in 1998. If you've ever taken some type of Bible class in a junior college or maybe a secular college or university, very often we'll hear critics in those classes say, well, though the New Testament is acceptable as literature, it cannot be accepted as history because it was written so long after Jesus and the events its authors talk about. Other individuals who don't consider the Bible reliable will often say, you can't trust the Bible It was written 2,000 years ago, and besides, it's full of errors and discrepancies. A British uh, gentleman, Sir Frederick Kenyon, the director and principal librarian at the British Museum, and second to none in the authority on all kinds of ancient manuscripts, said this about the reliability of the New Testament. 
the interval then between the dates of the original composition, the original writing, and the earliest extant evidence, manuscripts, becomes so small as to be in fact negligible. And the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books in the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. And what he's saying is that the time span from the original writing to the earliest copies, manuscripts of it, the time span is so small compared to all of the ancient manuscripts written. I mean, it's like Homer's Odyssey. I don't remember the dates. I'm not here to give you all that information. But I mean, like, the earliest copy is 2,000 years after he wrote, or 1,500, or 900, or something really crazy. We have just a few dozen years for the New Testament. As to the accuracy of the text... Sir Kenyon says this in another work, it cannot be too strongly asserted that in substance the text of the Bible is certain, especially in the case with the New Testament. The number of manuscripts of the New Testament of early translations from it and of quotations from it in the oldest writers of the early church is so large that it is practically certain that the true reading of every doubtful passage is preserved in some one or other of these ancient authorities. This can be said of no other ancient book in the world. According to scientific and historical study and research, Jesus was no myth. He was a real person. And the accounts we have of him are historically accurate. Jesus the legend. Today when people say, is it true? They're not usually wondering if something meets objective standards for absolute truth. Men and women and young people of our day want to know if something is true for themselves. And that primarily they determine if something is true by the test, have I experienced it? If Jesus of Nazareth was in fact God, as he and others said he was, if his message and deeds were true, then we would expect there to be experiential and beneficial features of the Christian religion that have had and continue to have significant impact on people. And the truth, according to the testimony and experience of billions of humans of all ages since the death and resurrection of Jesus is overwhelmingly in favor of the validity and the impact of Jesus in Christianity. We sit here in this room 2,000 years later, most of us absolutely convinced of the authenticity, not as much probably from the manuscripts, although that's a really helpful piece of information, but because we've experienced it. We've known him. From the eyewitness accounts of his disciples to the remarkable expansion and influence of his followers down through the ages, Jesus, the message about him, even his church, 
have changed and transformed untold numbers of people and our very world. The accounts of followers of Jesus speak about the meeting of the deepest needs of the human heart, such as respect, dignity, purpose, love, confidence, the solving of the problem of guilt and shame, the removing of fear, including the fear of death, the healing of bodies, minds, emotions, and spirits, the healing and restoration of human relationships, the provision of moral energy and power for change, and a very reason and purpose for life. This morning I've asked uh, Rochelle Garza to share with us her own experience of the person and work of Jesus in her life. Thank you, Randy. He's forcing me to be up here because I like to sit down there. (laughs) I like to stand down there, but trying something new. So growing up as a Catholic, um, I knew who Jesus was, but we didn't go. This is weird. That's in my face. We didn't go to church every Sunday. Um, He wasn't a part of our daily life. And I definitely... to be honest, wasn't taught as a young child and growing up into adulthood that that's who I should turn to whenever I faced obstacles or had challenges or fears or, well, just about anything um, in life. And that was pretty apparent as I became an adult. I made a lot of decisions that weren't necessarily the best decisions. I've seen a lot of hard times from I had Madison when I was 21 and I was a single parent. Um, I don't want to get emotional. We had... um, Times when didn't know where food was going to come from. I have been on food stamps when I was very young in order to feed my children. I've been through divorce. Um, I've had difficulties with family members. And throughout all of it, I knew Jesus was there, but I never turned to him. I never turned to God and said, I need your help. I can't do this alone. And it wasn't um, until about three and a half years ago I met Celeste, as some of you know her here in the church, and we became friends, and I repeatedly told her, I need a church. This this other church that I've gone to, it's not really working for me. Um, So she invited me, and I came here to the vineyard, and it wasn't until um, maybe like the second or third time coming here that I, I didn't really... I hadn't, I hadn't really seen this type of church. I'd only seen the Catholic church, very ritualistic. You know, every, you stand, you sit, you kneel, you stand, you sit, you kneel. You, just, you don't really know anybody there unless you happen to go to the classes, and even then you don't really get to know anybody personally. So coming here, um, I didn't really know what was going on when people would come up to the front and get prayer. I'm like, what does that mean? Do you all say the same prayer? Because in the Catholic church, we all say the same prayer over and over again. Um, so I didn't know what people were doing when they came up here. And the first couple of times I was like, mm, I don't really know. I felt moved by what they were talking about. And I really felt like they were talking to me, but I don't know what's going on up there. <laughs> so it was like the third time. And Celeste said, I'm going to go up there. Do you want to come with me? And I went, sure, I'll go with you. <laughs> Not knowing why I was going up there, what was going to happen when I got up there and everybody was talking and praying. And um, I think I've shared this with some of you. I had an, this, is how, this was when I really knew 
that God was real. I, I don't have any other way to describe it other than being spirit. I felt like I was spirit filled. And from that moment till today, about three and a half years later, I feel like I am filled with the Holy Spirit because as I stood up here, I was completely overwhelmed. I, I was a little bit of, I wouldn't say, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I wasn't a believer. I, I didn't believe that you really felt the spirit when you came up here. I, I was like, no, that's not for real. That's for show. But I stood up here and became completely overwhelmed with emotion. And I'm thinking in my head, why am I crying? I don't know. Oh, they're still talking. Why am I crying? Okay, stop crying. Rochelle, stop crying. Get it together. Stop crying. Breathe. Um, <laughs> and as I, I heard the name, I heard Jesus. Jesus, come fill her. Come fill Rochelle. And I'm all of a sudden started to feel calm and going, okay, I'm not crying anymore. Why am I not crying anymore? All this is going on in my head because keep in mind, this is my first time ever coming up here. So I really didn't know what was going on other than I was uncontrollably crying and I couldn't stop myself and I didn't know why. And then I was completely overcome by calm and I didn't know why. Um, so that was my first experience. And ever since then, I've come to learn on a daily basis um, in work, I have to pray throughout the day um, at home. I start my day with the Lord. I end my day with the Lord. I'm, um, I now know that, that what I used to be told as a child was my conscience talking to me is really God. It's really Jesus telling me. When I'm driving in the car and I'm thinking about whatever it is that's troubling me that day and I hear an answer, I, I've started to follow it. And... Um, I now I don't worry about where food's going to come from. My kids, we, we always have what we need. Um, I now have a new home. I have a new outlook on life. Um, I, I'm trying to share that with anybody and everybody that I can. And um, I know that God is real. I know that Jesus died on the cross for us. And I have no doubt in my mind because I live it every day now where before I knew him, every day was a struggle. And, and I never knew um, if it was ever going to get any better. You know, if I were going to pass this microphone around, microphone around today, I believe we could hear story after story of how Jesus, a man and the Son of God, who lived died and rose again 2,000 years ago has changed our lives. I know from talking with most of you that we together have experienced His love, His forgiveness, His power and healing. And as a result, we'll never be the same. Could the worship team come on up? I wonder what your view of Jesus is this morning. Perhaps you've come today and you wandered into this kind of weird, small church, people talking to you and saying hello, and maybe you're not exactly sure about who he is. Maybe you've thought of him merely as a man, perhaps a very good man. Do you recognize him as fully human, but also fully God? Do you think of Jesus as myth? Or question if the stories are even true? Or have you encountered the living legend, Jesus the Christ, who lives today 
in us and through us. My hope and prayer for each of you this Easter is that wherever you are in your journey, that today will be an opportunity for you to say yes, God, to Jesus. Yes to Jesus as God, as man. Yes to Jesus as living in your life and following him, as Rochelle has has suggested. Worship team is going to close with a pretty cool song. I hope that you will join us with that. After that, there will be some folks that will come up and be available. They'll be over here on the wall by the cross, available to pray with you if you would like someone to pray with, talk with. Again, perhaps maybe you you sort of wandered in today. Not sure why you went to church. Maybe it's because God wants to meet you here today. So we do this upfront thing, sometimes over on the sidewall thing. People have been trained. They're here as an opportunity. If you feel a sense of tugging in your heart right now, a sense of I want more of who this Jesus is, I would encourage you. If those who pray would go now and be available, you can even go during the song.